Hello everyone, this is Mark Iskowitz, Executive Editor of MMM, and welcome to this week's edition of the MMM Podcast, where my faithful co-host Larry Dobro and I interview people of note in and around healthcare marketing. I'm flying solo today from a hosting perspective as Larry is tending to some magazine business. For all those listening live on Periscope, welcome. This episode is being recorded at MMM's offices in New York City, June 11th, 2019. It'll also be posted Wednesday to SoundCloud and the other podcast platforms. We hope everybody is enjoying the uh, beautiful June weather out there. And uh, our guest today is Sarah Hollebeck, CEO of Luminary Labs. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, so last week's MMM Hall of Femme event uh, was a day of inspirational stories of women who've helped other women climb the ladder and of the importance of things like women leadership and mentorship programs all being necessary for promoting more women leaders, which is the mission, of course, of MMM Hall of Femme. And certainly we're seeing healthcare organizations from corporations to agencies make progress on DNI, but there's a long way to go, especially when one looks merely at statistics, it can be kind of hard to discern where those efforts or whether those efforts are bearing fruit on healthcare corporate boards and, and biopharma C-suites. So for more insight on this, not only about how it's going, um, but in how to implement uh, DNI policies in one's company, I thought it'd be great to have Sarah Hollebeck on. Um, she's CEO of, as I mentioned, of Luminary Labs, which is a consultancy that works with Fortune 500 companies, uh, government nonprofit organizations to thrive in the face of change. Among other roles, Sarah has also served as the chair of the Step Up National Board of Directors, which is a nonprofit that propels girls from under-resourced communities to fulfill their potential by empowering them to become confident, college-bound, career-focused, and ready to join the next generation of professional women. And MMM, we also have a proud uh, partnership with Step Up, so I uh, wanted to get a plug-in for them as well. Uh, so that's the topic of this podcast: is you know forging a better path. Uh, not, not just for women, but for, for everybody by making workplaces friendlier and less stressful environments for tomorrow's leaders. And Sarah has thought a lot about this topic, haven't you? I absolutely have. And as a matter of fact, you, you led a, a panel um, last week at the FEM event uh, entitled For the Leaders of Tomorrow, on which you talked about uh, you know, guidance for people who are looking to implement DNI. Uh, policies in their own workplaces and how to champion the success of others. Um, and there were some strong reactions to that panel, especially when it came to things like working hours and, and preventing employee burnout. So I wanted to talk to you more about that. Sure. So one of the questions from the moderator was, how do you avoid burnout? And, you know, amongst panelists, we, we shared common tactics like sabbaticals. Um, but then I mentioned that we had a rather radical move a few years ago when we decided that we would implement standard working hours. That meant nine to six with some flexibility. It's a principle, not a rule. That means that, you know, if you need to come in a little earlier or later, or you need to pick up a kid or whatever it is, like you can work that out with your manager. But rather than from, rather than the always on flexible policy, we actually went very retro. It feels very like 1950s like. But it occurred to us at the time that um, far too many people were working late um, because they had been trained to do so. It was about giving face and the work product was not necessarily better. Hmm. Um, and we would hear people say, well, I don't have time to date or I don't have time to eat properly or exercise. Um, you know, you have people who are picking up kids who have to miss meetings and things like that. And I said, like, this, this isn't really right. How do we fix this? And so we did some research and we said, we're just going to try an, an experiment. And we piloted leaving at 6 p.m. And the catch is not just leaving at 6 p.m. It's trying not to email after 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. or on the weekends. And that's the radical part, right? A lot of people do have flexible hours of when they're in the office. But how do you contain the number of hours that you're expected to be on? And there's this idea of being always on. 
So these are two trades of thought right now in, in this world that is demanding and rightfully so inclusion and diversity and the ability to live one's life. Uh, trade of thought one is radically flexible hours work anytime, anywhere based on your schedule. And that's great. Like I know people who work from home three days a week or they work in the evenings, whatever it is when you're on. Mm -hmm. The downside of that policy is that uh, we oftentimes find that people are working far longer than they should. They're sort of overcompensating because of the fact of uh, and the nature of this, this flexible policy. Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, option two, which is like to have more flexible or more strict hours, sorry. And and that would mean, you know, more FaceTime, which is the downside is it feels very retro. Um, but on the other side, there's sort of everybody can agree on what time we're working and what time we're not working. Mm-hmm. And there are pros and cons to each. There's no right or wrong. Um, but I found that far too many organizations haven't really thought through the implications of their model mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. haven't piloted, you know, new ways of working to ensure that you're avoiding the the thing that you're trying to avoid in the first place, which is burnout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought up a good point in terms of there. There are pros and cons to a lot to a lot of these things, and, and especially flex time. Um, as as you mentioned, there's that always on mentality when you have flex time. It's it's kind of a of a of a um, double edged sword. I'm not sure the right, that's the right metaphor, but where you think you're actually gaining flexibility, but where you're and you are, but you're actually losing some of your own privacy, right? Some of your own uh, uh, private time because you you're expected to be um, accessible during those those off hours, quote unquote. So yeah. you have to everything has to be weighed. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, depending on the type of organization you're in, you know, we're a service business, so of course I, I look at my email. I don't always answer. And it occurred to us at one point that some emails that were happening later in the evening before we implemented this policy, it was they were sort of negligible. Like, you know, if I say, mm-hmm. great, I got it, I'll get to you in the morning, like that's, I'm, I will still get to you in the morning whether you saw that email or sure, not. And that was sure. an internal email. And, sure. you know, nobody should really feel the need to say that. And I think a lot of managers or CEOs, they forget that there's a power play. So like if a CEO sends mm-hmm. an email in the middle of the night, because like CEOs have crazy ideas all the time. I know yeah. I do. I've <laughs> learned to be a lot better about not emailing my team about my great crazy ideas in the middle of the night. Like mm-hmm. when I have this, oh, what if we, uh, right, because right. they're going to feel that they need to respond. Right, right. And, and it starts yes. with you, you know, yes. being the CEO, so you to set that tone and, and to yeah. meet that expectation. And, and somebody at, at the event also raised the question, like what happens when a client wants to email you late at night? And, and you know, on the panel, we use that word, do you train mm-hmm. clients? And I, in retrospect, I don't think that was a really great word. It's not so much about training clients. It's no, no client wants to be emailing at 11 p.m. And I have a friend who says that late night email is a game of chicken. It's like, if that's per- the person answers, and I'm going to answer. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the other person has to chime in. And so, like, maybe we shouldn't even start that game mm-hmm. and just answer in the morning. And, and I think yeah. you have to understand, is, it, um, is this actually really important mm-hmm. to email right now? Um, will somebody lose sleep? Is there something at risk mm-hmm. um, or not? And then use that judgment. But I, I think far too companies think about that. It's just be always on, be responsive. Right, right. Yeah. And then you, you brought up the point about, you know, when, when clients have unreasonable requests. Um, do, you, do you train, you know, your staff, given that you have this flexible work week, you know, what to do in those situations? So, I mean, it is interesting. So we you know, we expect our team to not have to work in the evenings. There are peaks and valleys. So there'll be times where like somebody say until seven or eight, mm-hmm. or maybe there's something really big that has a deadline and there's a special exception that happens. Sure. Um, but 
when we talk to our clients, we'd like to understand what their boundaries are. This all comes down to boundaries. Mm -hmm. We have a client who, um, it's a gentleman who does drop off and pick up of his kids. So he has certain off hours that it's like not a good time to have a call or talk to him. And he catches up in the evening. And so we agreed with him up front. Okay, so why don't we send you things at this time, it would be like mm-hmm, the end of our mm-hmm. working day, and then you yeah. can read it. So it's just mm-hmm. a very natural relationship. Right, um, right. So if we get an email from him at night, we know it's not because he's worried. It's just that that's the time he's right. getting to it. Right. Now, you know, once in a while, you will have a client that wants something that's overnight that's not necessary. And I think, you know, one of my fellow panelists brought this up, Nadine, quite well. She said, you know, sort of getting on the phone, talking to the client, understanding, like, what is pushing this email out like why why is this person concerned and you know if you could help them get the right answer without necessarily going through all the hoops the burning mm-hmm. hoops sometimes mm-hmm. um so I mean, we're very candid about that up front you know mm-hmm. i think i would say all of our clients are pretty reasonable i was actually surprised at how few clients even notice mm-hmm. like we don't advertise this uh, right, right. <laughs> we just get the work done and try to deliver and right. you know if you bring right. the goods you bring the goods and right. nobody's bothering you at night sure sure yeah so um you know i wanted to ask you also you know for, from your perspective what's what's kind of in, in vogue now um uh, for companies uh, in terms of work policies to prevent burnout and you actually did some research around this i wanted to ask you about that as well yeah so a few years ago we uh curated examples from companies, small companies, startups, and then a few large companies as to like, what were they doing to attract and retain the best talent and also Mm -hmm. avoid burnout? And it ranges from everything from um, fair pay, equal pay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and when we think about compensation, it's not just the pay part, but it's it's things like options and how long you have to exercise options. Many companies give you three months after you leave to exercise options. Pinterest made a big shift and gave people seven years. Mm-hmm. So that's a great incentive, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's nice. That's a good thing mm-hmm. to do for people. You're creating wealth for amongst the people who mm-hmm. who contributed to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that Vodafone had implemented family leave globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Aetna increasing minimum wage and saying, you know, a company that makes as much money as we do uh, really ought to pay people a living wage, and and he made a the CEO made an argument to the street that Berlini, yeah, yeah Berlini was like like listen it will it'll translate in reduced customer turnover, and I think that that's the right answer. They're actually rethinking how they do business, and we call that human company design, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So rather than seeing people as resources that you extract from, think about how you are making this a win win. And and you know mm-hmm. one of my favorite examples is Patagonia, mm. so they offer. On-site childcare and all sorts of really amazing benefits. And um, I heard uh, one of their executives speak recently, and he said, "There is this thought exercise that said if you knew for certain, like a hundred percent sure, that the children of your employees would someday be your employees, what would you do differently?" Mm-hmm. Suddenly, thinking about equal pay matters. Mm-hmm. If that's your future workforce, yes. what are you doing <laughs> if mm-hmm. you're underpaying people? Right. Um, you offer childcare, you offer flexibility. And I think this is as a very systemic long view of the world that, you know, more companies should take. Many too far too many companies just take the short term quarter to quarter view. Sure. And while that might be good for today, the long run, you know, you're you're probably negatively affecting you know, the competitiveness of America, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. affecting the wealth gap and income gap in America, which ultimately, if people can't afford your product, to what right. so end what are you even doing yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, uh, one of one of our mutual uh, 
colleagues, uh, Lisa Sunan has talked yes. about, you know, with, with C. Sweetener, you know, that uh, the anecdote that, um, you know, imagine your own daughter, you know, working for one of these companies, you know, talking about yeah. gender inequality, you know, would you want to know that she was being so, you know, grossly underpaid? You know, no, you know, in terms of um, helping men to, to kind of reframe that, that problem. But what, what are some of the other implications of, of moving to a human-centered design company? Well, they're big trade-offs. I mean, the first thing is I, I used to be the queen of 24-7. <laughs> you know, I was the one emailing at all hours. So I had to train myself to role model the behavior. Um, it meant things like sending people home when they're sick. And that happens usually mm. within the first six months of somebody's tenure at the company. Um, somebody comes in, they're a little flush, they don't look well. And you say, how are you feeling? They're like, it's okay. I'm okay, but I'm going to see how I feel in an hour. Well, then why did you come in? Well, there's this one thing I want to get done. You say, I'm just going to send you home. And that means laptop down. Doesn't mean do your work from home. It means actually go home and recuperate. And, and there are implications for a service business. That means you have to have a culture where somebody can absorb that work. It means that you have to use collaboration tools so it's easy to absorb the work and see everything that's transpired. So that's a very big part of how we operate. It's like mm -hmm. see everything, touch nothing, so that if we do have to touch it, we can jump in. Right. So like shared right. documents, right. shared project plans, shared communication, mm -hmm. um, a trust amongst your employees that like the, the person sitting next to you is not going to sabotage you. I've worked in lots of companies where people mm. would love for you to be gone. Mm. Yeah, Luminary Labs is really big that mm. and really important that we um, we support each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, other implications are, you know, when you if you have. You know, if you've built an entire business around people working 24-7 <laughs> as a service company, if you're billable by the hour or fixed fee, presuming people have a utilization that's more than 40 or 50 hours a week, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have rate card implications. So we had to mm -hmm. right-size mm -hmm. a lot of things. We also internally um, right-size jobs. Mm -hmm. Like, is the load, is this feasible? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not just like utilization, but like, is this, is this person going to burn out during this period of time? Um, some projects are not taxing labor-wise, but emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. So like we all have those projects that in the end are, are just fine, but like emotionally are very taxing. So we try to take account of that. We also right-size meetings. So mm -hmm. why does a default meeting have to be an hour? Shouldn't. It could be 30 minutes. It could be 15 minutes. And we have mm -hmm. two types of meetings. We've got status meetings. If you're sharing information, that's like a stand-up and you're done and you're out of there. Right. Don't make it any longer than you have to. Mm -hmm. uh, we expect people are spending an hour during the day doing other things, eating or taking a walk um, and building that in. We ask that people block that off. Um, at one point when we moved to uh, like the 40, 45-hour-ish work week, People said they didn't have enough time to get work done because meetings weren't all at the same time. So we instituted heads down across the company. So we have three times a week, first thing Monday morning, no meetings. Mm -hmm. So that you can catch up on anything that you need to catch up on because mm -hmm. other people might be sending you email over the weekend. Not from here, but someplace else. Uh, Tuesday afternoon and Thursday morning. And you can book over that if it's an emergency, mm -hmm. but we try not to offer that up. Mm -hmm. And so far, like nobody complains. Like our mm -hmm. clients are, you know, you. Mm -hmm. You sort of, I think they're reasonable. People are reasonable at right. the end of the day. Right. So right. Uh, it's a very reasonable thing to allow people to live their life. It's a very reasonable thing to have uh, enough time to eat properly and exercise or see your family or do whatever it is you want to do at night. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think it's a very reasonable thing to say that in a world where less people are having children or they might be having them later to make sure that your policies aren't just for families. Your policies really need to apply to everyone. Mm -hmm. Those are just reasonable. Sure, sure. Yeah. So it's really about rethinking your whole business model. You have to rethink your business model. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. And where can people find out more about that? 
So we published uh, some of these case studies, uh, resources, and we've interviewed CEOs on humancompanyplaybook.com. So you check out online. And um, I, I love some of the interviews with folks like Alex Cavalacos, who's one of the co-founders of The Muse, or Finn Barnes, who's a VC. And they have very, very sage advice. I used one of Finn's quotes about startups and I applied it to careers, which is your career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And I think all too often we think about everything as a, a sprint and sprints are not sustainable. You're supposed to take a break in between. Right. <laughs> so why not just uh-huh. make it a marathon? Hmm. And we see a number of companies that are instituting things like paid sabbaticals. Absolutely. Opportunities to kind of take a, a break and reflect. Absolutely. Reflective break. Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, thanks for um, telling people where they can find out more about this. Um, and um, um, so it was, uh, again, that, that uh, URL was humancompanyplaybook.com, right? That's correct. Okay. So you, you did these 40 interviews with 40 different companies, and you also wrote a manifesto. Oh, yeah. We, we interviewed a number of companies. Oh. You'll see a couple of them are public on the website. We mm-hmm. wrote a manifesto. In the resources section, you can find some of the research we did. There's also an original version. The version 1.0 was a selection of, like I think it's like 40 examples. So there was, mm-hmm. there was version 1.0, and then we... It took off, and we realized it was something bigger, and that's when we yeah. wrote the manifesto. Okay. And it, now it's something that every candidate who comes into our office has read this. It's, it's really – it's very intriguing. Um, nobody believes it until they're in the company. And, and you know, let's say you interview with six people before you get hired. Uh, by the time they get to me, they'll say, yeah, I've already asked everybody if it's true, and they say, yes, it is. <laughs> so, And then they ask the next person and the next person, and then they, you know, by the time they get to me, they're, they're, they're pretty sure. But you still don't know. Sure. And and that's because the rest of the world trains you to uh, to be always on and to work mm-hmm. when you're sick and, mm-hmm. you know, that you shouldn't really talk about family leave. And, and unfortunately, that's that's sort of the state of the union. And right. we're doing everything right. to show that you, you can you can you could do well and do good. You mm-hmm. shouldn't have to choose between a high performing career and having a life. Right. right. These are not yeah. mutually exclusive. Right. You know, right. we had somebody who came to our company. Uh, when she was uh, about to have her second child at a from a traditional big four consulting firm, and, mm-hmm. and there it's you either see your family or you become partner. And I said, why can't Amazing. you do both? Of yeah. course, you could do both. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So, would you say this is like the number one thing a, a company can do to improve its its DNI? Yeah, I, I think you know it's great that you might have a head of DNI, but you actually have to change something in the business if mm-hmm. you want to uh, change mindsets. And it's hard work; it's not easy. So. Uh, when you think about uh, fair pay and equity, that's a really big deal. You also have to invest in trajectory. That's mm-hmm. another thing I don't see. We talked a lot about mentorship and sponsorship, and that's great. But is somebody actually going to invest in right. your long-term trajectory? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, when I think about Luminary Labs, it's we care deeply about trajectory. We're very candid about where one's strengths are, where one's gaps are, and what's going to take to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. Those really honest conversations are where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Yes. And um, – can I put you on the spot and ask you how, um, you, how to what extent, rather, you think this idea is kind of taking root in healthcare marketing, uh, uh, biopharma? Yeah, it's a little hard to say. I think um, healthcare companies have an interesting advantage in that they tend to have really good benefits and insurance. And I think for many people, that's that's big. That's mm-hmm. really big. So if you think about like a startup that doesn't have good benefits yet. They have to offer other things. So I do think in the health tech space, this mm-hmm. is like most of the startups are thinking about this. They don't wait until somebody has a child to figure out their family policy, mm-hmm. family leave policy. Now in New York State, we have mandated family leave mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think where healthcare 
in general, whether it's biopharma or it's marketing or what have you, the number one thing that they need to do is um, really focus on trajectory, making sure there's equal pay and trajectory. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I think, you know, Lisa Sudan and I talk about this a lot. You just do not see enough women rising in the ranks. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out what's what's broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a point at Luminary Labs. We were very, like, <laughs> a lot of women at Luminary Labs and known for being female-friendly. And that's why we went with human-friendly. Um, and at one mm-hmm. point, almost every candidate looked like me. And I said, something's broken. And the team insisted, nope. You know, this is what's coming in. We're just yeah. not getting any other candidates. I'm yeah. like, something is absolutely broken. I made them go back and go through every step of the process mm-hmm. and figure out where we're going wrong. Hmm. So what we did is we looked at uh, 90 days of applicants. We applied a different filter. We had a different person do the screening. We, tried, we mixed it up in a couple different places. They came back with a roster of 11 candidates who should come in. It was not only more diverse and inclusive list. It was actually a better list of candidates. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to break the processes. And I think for the large healthcare companies, is you know, they're very large companies. very hard to break processes. Right. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people yeah, yeah, yeah. bring their own kind of uh, backgrounds to the interviewing process and they feel more comfortable perhaps, you know, with hiring their own kind, so to speak. Uh, or, or this is the way we've done it. You right. Know, right, you know yeah. it's very hard in healthcare to hire outside of your ranks. Mm-hmm. You always have to post it internally. And I get that. I absolutely. And right, I think that's quite right, admirable. Sure, right. Sure. So how do you retain right. talent? And they are right. quite good at, you know, helping you shift different, you know, get exposure and get different career trajectories mm-hmm. kind of going. Right. But there's still something else that needs to be figured out. I mean, we, sh- we yeah. should have more women in, in the C-suite. Right. So then, yeah. you know, um, one, and once women get into um, companies, there needs to be more done to foster their advancement. Yeah. Get them on stage. Get that, you know, it's visibility matters. You know, Lisa mm-hmm. and I talk about this. You know, some people will say, well, you need the right person on stage. And it doesn't really matter if it's a man or a woman, but it does matter. Visibility absolutely matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about that. If you have a conference and you have 100 speakers and they're all men, those men haven't paid. They get a comp ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just think it's already like an unfair advantage. Right. Like they right. get access to the same thing and they haven't paid for it. Right. Or, you know, right. if, if there's a point. female speaker, um, who's available, you know, like, how do you not know that they exist, right? So that's mm-hmm. why we started, you know, the Speakers Bureau, um, mm-hmm. which I passed over to Lisa Sunan. Mm-hmm. It was like, I knew there were qualified women. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I knew there were. Like, why are they not in the ranks? And this isn't the first time I did this. I created a women's list in, like, tech and media years ago. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, every, mm-hmm. every, you know, we work in a lot of different sectors. So everywhere I go, I try to make lists of people, um, hand raisers, and um, I try to share it and be yeah. as generous as possible. Right. Yeah. Is that C sweetener? C sweetener, absolutely. Is that, that is, so, uh, can you give us a little status? Yeah. Update? It's, so, it's been launched um, about a year ago, right? Yeah. So, this is a speakers bureau that you know I created. I wanted to create a list of 150 women who should be on stage, and it ended up being like 700 something, I think. Hmm. And so, I, I I'm not equipped to manage that. So, uh, Lisa said, "Well, why don't you pass it to C sweetener? We'll create the speakers bureau." Mm-hmm. And so anyone, you can go in, you can nominate yourself or, you know, if you know somebody who should be in there, but you have to register. So if you haven't done that, go to C Sweetener, uh, their website. Um, you can hit up on Twitter, you can email them, mm-hmm. or you just go to the website and you'll see the form. And then if you're running a conference, mm-hmm. you should absolutely like use that list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, didn't avail ourselves of that, but we, we should going forward. You, yes, you should. Yes. And in <laughs> fact, we had one all-male panel at our spring conference, I'm embarrassed to say, but but we had an op- our opening keynote was a woman and our closing keynote was a woman. And I think all the yeah. other panels are pretty pretty balanced. Um, I mean, this we is one, we had one mantle. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I saw that mantle, and it's yeah. interesting. I think we're in a day we're in a day and age where, like, when you see a mantle, it strikes you. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you see an all female pe- panel, people are like, "Oh my god, look at that all female panel! Isn't that amazing?" But if there's an all male panel, historically, people wouldn't say anything. Now it 
it rubs you the wrong way, especially if it's mm-hmm. a topic like healthcare, you know, and, and you think about that. And, you know, I was at a table where everybody wasn't sure if they should mention this. Should I say that? Am I going to get in trouble? Well, clean out the mantle. And I said, I think that's a tasteful way to like raise the bar and you can do it in a way that, you know, isn't offensive, but like mm-hmm. helps lift all boats. And if you don't say anything, it doesn't change. Sure. Right. So next year yes. you won't have a mantle. No, we will, um, you know. I thought your physician panel was off the charts, though. Oh, thank you. That one was yeah. just so real, and Sylvia Ron was so great, and everything. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, really, they. Yeah, and Tanya yeah. Elliott. Was oh my gosh! Too. Yeah, I mean, these are women who um, are physicians, and they have experience, you know, running telemedicine companies. They're rock stars. In Tanya's case, writing guidelines, clinical guidelines for telemedicine. Yes. So the, definitely, the women are out there. Um, you know, they're, they're leading in these spaces. It's just a matter of, you know, connecting with lists like yours. Yeah, well, you have to find them. A lot of people say, well, women turn me down. Well, why do they turn you down? You know, you're, you probably ask them way too late in the game, mm-hmm. right? So I get mm-hmm. speaking requests all the time, like a week out or two. Like, yeah, I get, right, like, like right. Would you Come do on. that to a male CEO? Probably right, not. Yeah, yeah right, so right. yeah. So there's all sorts of reasons and mm-hmm. things. And then your, your funnel, it's a funnel. It's a numbers game. You just have to like have a bigger funnel at the top. Yes, right. And, um, you know, we in the events production business know that all too well. There's also a list <laughs> Yes, it's, it's a numbers game, but there's there's um, uh, unless you you know you really want Sarah Hollebeck, you gotta you know uh, get your request in early. But there's another list, Anne's list, I think, which is women neuroscientists, and we there were putting together a panel yeah. on behavioral the importance of behavioral science and marketing initiatives, which took place this morning. And um, my uh, I have a relative who is at NYU in the neuroscience area, and he told me about this list, Anne's Amazing. list. So yeah, there, there's little pockets yeah. of activity out there um, that we need to avail ourselves. Yeah. Of. And it's, it's, you know, I think it's the event industry is learning that pretty quickly now. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you really can't put on an event without yeah. making sure that you're, you're gender balanced. Let's uh, just say it's okay. going to be a better event. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. right. A, a diversity of anything, you know, creates better, yeah. just better, better. And also yeah, I want better. to point out, it can't just be all white women. So like, I'm mm-hmm. really big on inclusion across the board and intersectionality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, the first step that a conference will take will be like, okay, let's have a female panel and it's, you know, like five white women. And that, that's not, that's not really what we mean by inclusion. And right, so right. I think that's a really big area of focus for healthcare companies in terms of like, how do you make sure that you're attracting the best talent and retaining the best talent and, and elevating the best talent? It's, you know, it has to be far more inclusive. And that's, that's, um, that's something that I would love to see more health conference, healthcare conferences work on. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. there other areas you think are sort of the next frontier for the spread of, of DNI in our, in our industry? When we don't use like the acronym DNI, or you know, like when you, you know, like that's when you know you've mm-hmm. done it. It's it's not a big deal anymore. It sure. just becomes the, a way of doing business. It was so ingrained in your culture and into your business model that it doesn't. It's not a problem to be fixed because that's the way we're treating it right now. We need to see right. inclusion as a way to do better as companies, mm-hmm. and like as and as a society. Right. Yeah. We have to be a little bit more deliberate about it now because I think of the yeah. place we're in. But Yeah. It's, I think right now a lot of companies go, oh, shoot, we got some bad press. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And like that's like at that point, like it's <laughs> far too late, right? Exactly right. You should have started. So, but it's, I think, you know, you, I, you know, I think there are really good examples of conferences that got some heat and then they put like TEDMED is a great one where, you know, they got some heat and then they doubled down mm-hmm. or, you know. Health 2.0 and many different conferences, like they'll tell you, like we start out, we did not do a good job. Here are the steps we took. And this is, and like every year they measure and they report back and, you know, it takes time. You don't just flip a switch. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. you might invite people to the party. They might not want to go because of the past. So you've got to, you actually have to create real relationships 
mm-hmm. and commit to inclusion in a, in a very different way, a very authentic way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that that um, telemedicine panel came together, you know, through an internal connection in our medical division who works with um, Dr. Elliot. And then she led us to Dr. Rahm and then Dr. You know, uh, Prentice Taylor uh, from Dr. In Demand. Right. So it was a very organic thing, but it took effort, but it was well worth it because of the diversity of ideas shared right. and, and the quality of the panel. Um, so anyway, um, how about we switch gears again and uh, switch to our, our speed round here? Ooh, speed round. Yes. So um, get out your speedy answers. Uh, what book did you most recently finish? I'm going to admit that despite being a voracious reader as a young adult, I do not have a lot of time to read long format. So I'm mostly reading children's books. So the Lego Ideas book is our favorite book right now. I think I have that. Yes, it's amazing. It's a beautiful little coffee table. It's Yeah, book. I read it. My kid uses it. So like okay, that's what I read. Yeah, like, right. And you want to know what I'm really reading? It's the Lego <laughs> Ideas book. It's, it's very creative. <laughs> and then you never have to buy Legos anymore because they right. use their existing pieces. Yes, right. I mean, they have to be sorted into different bins. Well, I've done that. Book. That's step okay. one. Yes, ah, yes. Okay. It's so. genius. Yeah, Lego Ideas book. Get that one. You're a sophisticated builder. Yes. Okay. Master Good. Builder. Yes. Yes. Great, great book. I highly recommend that as well. Um, who inspires you? You know, I have a thing where I I hold no idols because I find that, mm. you know, people will always disappoint you, including yourself. So I try to take pieces of people, right? So anytime somebody mm. does something that is inspirational, I take that with me. I collect pieces of people. But I would I mm-hmm. have to say mm-hmm. no single person inspires me. Okay. Yeah. Isn't well, I know. You take, you pick and choose. I, I like to pick from, I think you yeah. can learn from everyone. Absolutely. I yeah, learn no, from my employees all the time. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find like the way they see the world, like very inspirational, but I, I hold no particular idols. Up. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Fair enough. And uh, what did you last do to recharge your batteries? Um, I was sick on Friday, so I didn't go to the office because the work... <laughs> can wait and sick means sick at luminary labs there you go there you're you holding go. up the policy there you go yes, yes. you're a good example yes. Yes. i didn't even log on wow then they said wow she must be really good sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay all right sarah hallibuck thank you so much this has been a pleasure thank you mark absolutely um so thank you everybody else for joining us um it is june 11th and in a couple of short weeks we're going to be unleashing upon the world our biggest issue of the year our t100 issue. Um, so everybody stay tuned for that. And I just want to uh, put out there, um, you know, this is uh, gold standard information and content. This is the only, um, you know, we're the most comprehensive listing of the top 100 North American uh, healthcare marketing agencies out there uh, with revenue tables, um, Q&A, Q&A, uh, CEO Q&A, um, and a host of other uh, great information um, that you can't get anywhere else. And we've kind of upped the game this year. So um, everybody stay tuned for that. Um, and I uh, hope everybody um, enjoyed uh, last week's FEM event. There'll be a, a takeaways ebook coming out from that. Um, and I'm sure uh, everyone enjoyed as much as I did the interview with Sarah today. Thanks again, Sarah. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Uh, so for Larry Dobrow and Mickey Brown, our, 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 uh, our producer, see you next time on the MMM Podcast. Thank you.